The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. I have three letters, actually two letters and a number for you, M2M, Rise of the Machines. Hmm, sounds like a movie. It's the promise of a world of connected devices where machines of all types and sizes can autonomously communicate with each other. Brad, I hear an echo, by the way. Sensors, microprocessors, and wireless technologies that once cost hundreds of dollars are now available for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee. Cloud computing and smartphone ubiquity will also drive adoption. You don't believe it's a reality yet? Well, as reported by the Economist Intelligence Unit, a machine research analyst forecast that global M2M revenues from 2010, yes, there's an echo, thank you, will soar eightfold to hit $948 billion by 2020. Now do the math, it's only 2012 now, $948 billion in eight years. And Ericsson predicts the number of connected devices could reach 50 billion by that same year, 2020. But many businesses either don't understand the MTM technology, M2M, or they have doubts about the true business benefits. Our experts today have a lot to say. We're going to be speaking with Jason Sumner from, of course, EIU. M2M is going to be big, Jason says. We have heard this before, but there are reasons to believe it's different this time. We'll be talking to Jason and find out why he is saying that. Joe Dignan from Ovum is also with us today. He asks the question, when is M2M not M2M? I would suggest a lot of the time. There are fully automated processes, but a great many examples of what I'm told is M2M needs a human guiding mind somewhere in the interaction. Well, that kind of goes against machine to machine when you've got human. That's interesting. Fergus O'Reilly from SAP is joining us, and he says customers no longer buy products. They buy experiences. This is the real driver for the move to everything as a service, and he will be tying that in to the rise of the machines. So join us for more on M2M. Rise of the machines coming to a smart City near you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to SAP's Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio here on the Business Channel. Thrilled to be here, and I have to time now to introduce you to my special guest. Jason Sumner is a senior editor with the Economist Intelligence Unit, business to business research arm of the Economist magazine. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Glad you could join us today. And Joe Dignan, Chief Analyst at Ovum and a member of Ovum's Industry Technologies team. Joe's research focus is on the development of smart cities, which is one of our topics today. Welcome, Joe. How are you today? I'm Grant. Thank you. Good morning to everyone. Good morning. I'm Grant. Nobody's ever said that before. I love it. Okay. I think I'll be Grant, too. And Fergus O'Reilly is Chief Solution Expert for the SAP Billing and Revenue Innovation Management Solutions and takes care of product strategy. Welcome, Fergus. How are you today? 
I'm great as well. Thank you, Bonnie. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us, all three gentlemen. Okay, let's deep dive back into the quotes I gave in the opening statement today. Jason Sumner, EIU. Let's talk about M2M is going to be big. And you say we've heard it before, but there are reasons to believe it's different. What makes it different now? It's 2012. The numbers, the predictions start back at 2010. So what's happened in those two years, Jason, to make this credible now? Yes, Bonnie, thank you. Um, I'll answer that question in, in one moment. I just want to give a bit of background, and that is on, on the analyst predictions you're, you were talking about. Um, they, all, they all predict, if they're looking at market size for machine-to-machine technology, they all vary to one degree or another. So you find uh, different numbers depending on the exact definition of machine that you might use. Um, and you mentioned a couple in your introduction. But one thing they do share is that they're forecasting huge percentage increases from where we are today. Um, it's important also to remember that predictions are not the reality. Um, but as I mentioned, there are, there are definitely reasons to believe that this general story for big growth is going to be a trend in the next decade and beyond. Now, what are some of those reasons? They are technological. So we're looking mm-hmm. at smaller devices and cheaper technology that's driving take-up. Uh, in the next few years, they are partly governmental, so we're looking at regulations in some countries that are going to drive up adoption. An example is in the energy sector. In the European Union, for example, they've mandated that 80% of homes should have smart meters installed by 2020. And in the automotive sector, the EU is looking at legislation that would put automated emergency calling services in new cars by 2015. A third reason, and probably the most important is that practical deployments are out there now, and they're, they're showing the way, they're, uh, and this will perhaps cause a spiraling effect when others see the evidence for what, what they can do with this technology in terms of effectiveness, efficiency, and profitability. Okay. Thank you very much, Jason. Joe from Ovum, Joe Digman, let's turn to you. You said something very interesting. When is M2M not M2M? I guess that's the new conundrum or whatever we want to call it. A rhetorical question, I would suggest a lot of the time. You're talking about M2M needs a human guiding mind somewhere. Does that go against the whole purpose, the whole meaning of M2M, Joe? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that one of the things I find fascinating about this debate is that a lot of the companies and sector still think in terms of fiber and they still think in terms of verticals whereas I mean we can't these wonderful phrases such as internet of things and system of systems but really we're talking about some form of ubiquitous connectivity of which end to end is just a component part of so it's part of that whole sort of strategic convergence and operational desegregation that's occurring in the IT industry and is addressing particular challenges that the economy is having. And that's why I think it's so particularly interesting in the smart city environment. I'd like to take a second to, to share with you a wonderful quote I heard <laughs> around the importance of smart cities, which I thought was terrific. We had the CIO of Barcelona, obviously Barcelona is one of the top operations involved in this um, smart city thinking. And he was asked the importance of cities versus nations. And he came up with a, a lovely quote, which was, Boston has been around for 2,000 years. I'm not sure how much longer Spain will be around. Mm-hmm. And, and he really got me, which was a wonderful sort of, you know, eloquent description of why smart cities are so important. And obviously, end to end being part of 
for continuing thinking. If you think about it, most nation states have only been around since the 19th century, whereas cities have been around as sort of economic hubs for thousands of years. Okay, thank you very much, Joe. Good perspective. I, I loved <laughs> love what you just said. Fergus O'Reilly, let's talk to you. Let's tie in everything as a service. Customers buy experiences. We know that. They're not just buying a product. They want an end-to-end wraparound experience, good from start to finish. Talk to me. How does this relate to smart cities and machine-to-machine? I think for if we take it from the consumer's perspective, that drive to want experiences means that you're no longer manufacturing a product. That product has to come with a service. And delivering that service increasingly means that the product itself has to be connected. So the car is connected for information, entertainment, emergency services, anti-theft tracking for, you know, tax and the pay-as-you-drive type scheme. So many of these scenarios where the customer wants to get more value out of the product means that Mm -hmm. the product has to be connected, and that requires some sort of machine-to-machine connectivity on the back end. And so that drive from consumers to to want more, to to want more from that experience, has caused all of the manufacturing segment, high-tech, low-tech, you know, uh, building, heating, ventilation manufacturers, you know, those many, many different types of industries to figure out how they can deliver these services, how they can get uh, the basic connectivity in place, layer services on top, and then run the business model and uh, change somehow the economic equation. If I can get revenue from the services, from monetizing the experience, if you will, then maybe I can even sell my product for a little bit less money. That's driving lots of change throughout, again, many different industries. Talk to me, Fergus, a little bit about your definition from your vantage point at SAP. What's your definition of a smart city? Who who today, where you are, is living in a smart city? How would I know if I'm in one? Is it a, a terminology that's it's a big umbrella sitting over a bunch of cities, or could you pick out a list of the top five smart cities today? I think probably the ones that are doing the most are probably the newest ones. So I think if you go to areas in the United Arab Emirates, for example, where, you know, you have cities growing faster than uh, faster than the same bolt runs 100 meters and so they're they're building with the latest technology now they also have to make them efficient because they're building in the middle of a desert where they don't have access to fresh water so they're also trying to uh, do a really good job and uh, reduce their environmental impact I don't know how well they're doing um, but they're trying to do that and that then has required them to invest in lots of you know, so-called smart city technologies so they can optimize the environmental envelope, if you will, of a building or of a group of buildings to make sure that they're moving the shutters correctly based upon the weather patterns, that all that mm-hmm. is being monitored remotely, that, uh, that they're able to manage the heating and ventilation systems uh, throughout all of those buildings. So that's one basic thing, is trying to reduce mm-hmm. the environmental cost. Uh, and that's one of the major drivers, I think, that we're seeing uh, in smart cities. Okay, I'm going to ask this. We have just about two minutes till break. I'm not ready to lead out, Brad. I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, Jason, I might want you to answer this one. From your perspective, and, and we mentioned government drivers, is the drive for smart cities coming from the city government, the residents, or is it coming from the businesses in that city, in that, that shall we call it, call it that business unit called a city? Is it coming from them saying, look at what we've done, look at the technology, we can help the city be smart? So is somebody just going to their, their governor, shall we say, or to their mayor and saying, I think we should make ourselves a smart city, or is it coming from the business side of the equation? Can you help me with that? 
Um, I would say at the moment it's coming. Uh, it's a lot of it's being driven by the the public entities um, as secondary factor by the businesses that offer the technology. But I see a lot happening in terms of um, environmental sustainability. So uh, city councils will be looking at ways of making themselves more sustainable, and that in turn is driven uh, definitely by efficiency, um, but also by commitments that they've made to their to their residents, to their voters and international commitments to becoming more sustainable. And when a business comes to them and says, look, we can make your, your uh, council buildings more, more sustainable um, you know, with some of the technology that covers heating and cooling, uh, we can make your street lights more efficient by making them dim mm-hmm. when the roads are empty, et cetera, that, that allows them to say, number one, we're more sustainable, and, uh, and number two, we're saving you money. Uh, which at the moment, saving money is probably a little bit more important to, to their voters, um, even though the, the sustainability factor is, is still a feel-good factor, even in these austere times. Very, very well put. And you've taken us right up to, we have to take a break so we have a sustainable show here. How's that? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. I have Jason Sumner from the EIU, Joe Dignan from Ovum, Fergus O'Reilly from SAP. Three esteemed speakers, great input. We're talking today about M2M, Rise of the Machines, and Smart Cities. You don't want to miss the rest of the show. Coming back with what's in their cup today and what are you drinking Tweet us at hashtag SAP Radio. Brad, over and out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com we hear it and read about it every day in the news stock prices plunging home prices receding and unemployment growing how can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy tune in to turning hard times into good times with host jay taylor Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning hard times into good times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is marketing making us ill? And if it is, how can we heal humanity and the planet by changing the way we sell? This is Lynn Serafin inviting you to join me and a great lineup of thought leaders in business, media, and marketing on The Seven Graces of Marketing, Mondays at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. So let the dialogue begin. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration, which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are, and it's time for our Coffee Break, Coffee Break. So I'm going to be asking my three guests, what are they drinking today? And then we have a couple of tweets to add to this as well. Jason Sumner, EIU. What's in your cup today, Jason? In my cup today, Bonnie, is Red Bush Tea. Um, the, the reason for this choice is uh, I've, I've tried to cut down over the last few years on caffeine in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's the afternoon here in the U.K. It's actually about tea time. Uh, so decaffeinated tea is the order of the day for me. Very good. Is there a special way you brew that tea? I know you U.K. folks have a special theory about when tea is really, really good. Do you have any tips for us, Jason? I can't presume to give any tips because I'm actually an American, so I probably did it wrong. <laughs> but it worked for me. Well, that says it all. Thank you for the admission. I appreciate it. Joe Dignan, you're also in the U.K. What are you drinking today, Joe? Well, thank you. I'm actually drinking a, a wonderful British institution, which is called Builder's Tea. Um, Builder's Tea is a complete opposite of Jason's, which is you use tons and tons of tea. And you make it really, really dark and viscous and strong. And you know when you go it right, when you put enough sugar in that the spoon stands up in the middle. <laughs> that's a cup of builder's tea. So that's builder's tea. Here. So what do you build out of that? Do you put Lego blocks on top and make a mountain, make a little house on top of it, or you just, just build the strength? It sounds fascinating, just fascinating. Any milk or cream or just, just sugar? Is that it? Yeah, it's sugar and a lot, a lot of tea and a lot of caffeine and a lot of sugar. It's a kind of like wonderful. It's Scottish thing. I I see. Okay. Well, they don't let me have caffeine on show days, and you know why. Let's turn to Fergus O'Reilly. Fergus, you are originally from where? From Ireland. Ireland. And what what are you so drinking today? Drink a lot of tea. Yes, I know. And what are you drinking today for the show? Uh, not tea, actually. So I'm going with coffee today. Actually, okay, in honor what? of. Um, it's the same boat yes. that Jamaicans have done so well in the Olympics. I've been drinking uh, Jamaican little Blue Mountain Wallen Ford uh, coffee, which is a, a pretty good coffee. Very nice. I, Thank you very much. Yes, go ahead. Your French press. Very good. And I have some tweets to read here. Margot, one of our big fans of SAP Radio, is drinking Nespresso Lungo today. Margot, you're always drinking that, and you're always right on. That just fuels her day, I know. And Malcolm just ground his Equator Coffee Organic French. He says, and I quote, The aroma is practically enough, but I want the caffeine to keep up with SAP Radio. Oh, Malcolm, we love you too, and congratulations to Kathy on the new job. Okay, let's dive back in. We're talking about M2M, machine and machine, rise of the machines. We're talking about smart cities. Who's driving the smartness? Is it coming from the people, the businesses, the the, the infrastructure? 
structure of the cities? Is it coming from government, a bigger place? So let's go back in. Jason Sumner, I'm looking here at a report on EIU, on digitalresearch.edu.com, Rise of the Machines Moving from Hype to Reality in the Burgeoning Market from Machine-to-Machine Communication. Why are businesses reluctant? Are they just not believers? Do they not accept as a cost-benefit? Where do you think that this, is there a lethargy in general in big businesses, small businesses, or what sectors do you find? I think if you uh, if you look at the the end user uh, first of all, there's limited awareness anyway among the end user, the, the consumers of this technology. Uh, on the second stage, where the businesses that would sell to those those users using this technology, there's there is limited awareness as well. And one thing that's important to to talk about is the fact that the telecoms operators are very much well aware of this technology, uh, and they've set up. Um, dedicated units to trying to figure out how they're going to monetize it. And one of their big challenges is this limited awareness of M2M, how it can benefit. You, you talk about connected devices, but how do you make that practical for, for a business? And what they're trying to do, I mean, th- even in America, they've even resorted to television advertisements, you know, talking about uh, how, how you can check stock levels remotely in vending machines to try to drive awareness. Um, so it is... It is a big problem, and in, in terms of coming back to those forecasts, that's one of the things that, that is going to have to be overcome in order to make these forecasts even even close to a reality. Okay, let's talk about... It's a, big, it's a big leap of faith at the moment. I, I think big leap of faith. For, yeah. And, and I want to have Joe Dignan from Ovum jump in on this. Joe, you're saying that I am convinced that M2M is another part of the continuum of ubiquitous connectivity we're moving towards. How fast are we moving? Do you agree with Jason? Yeah, I think we're actually moving a bit faster than Jason. Uh, I'm speaking around there. But big fan, Jason. I absolutely love the comments and stuff you're doing in the intelligence unit. Big fan. I think that one of the things that is obviously uh, kicking this thing off is the fact that smart cities has been around as an idea for ooh, forever. So smart city in itself, no one really knows what it means. All it means is potentially a sort of connectivity across the whole piece. But it's now it got to the point which, you know, when we talk about the four riders of the IT apocalypse, so cloud, the Internet of Things, uh, consumerization of IT and the economy are these sort of four riders of the IT apocalypse, which has broken all the sort of IT business models that we've had for the last 30 years. What's really driving the end-to-end piece is that sort of falling off of the, of the price of the sensors at the very bottom end of it, and that complete ubiquitous connectivity. And there can be a couple of examples. So mm-hmm. there's an organization called Living Planet who are working in Portugal currently, and they're talking about construction 2.0, so embedding all these sensors in the buildings themselves as they are built so that the buildings become live app stores. That gives you an example of where this can actually work. It's say that you wanted to go on holiday for a couple of weeks and you wanted extra security in your apartment. Mm-hmm. You could just go to your smartphone and tap and get that instantly provisioned into your apartment, whereas nowadays you need someone else to come along and screw an alarm on your door and all that kind of stuff. That's right. So it's actually creating the buildings as live buildings. It's sensors that are allowing you to do that. You've got other organizations that... What I find so fascinating is you had the usual suspects, and all of a sudden you've got all these new guys coming in. So mm-hmm. the Claren F1, you know, the big fast racing car guys, they're starting to look at what they can do. They've got something like 1,400 sensors in their cars, and they can actually play with their cars as they're going around the track at you know, 150, 200 miles an hour. Mm. So they're starting to walk. Well, what else can we do with this technology? And they're putting it into hospital trolleys now. 
so that when someone gets picked up on the trolley, they're immediately connected to the hospital. So the doctors at the hospital can actually monitor the patient through the sensors that are in the trolley. There, so there's all sorts of new organizations coming in. This goes back to um, the question that you posed earlier on, which is mm-hmm. you know, this, this idea of where do, where, what is a smart city? Well, everyone comes at it from a different angle. So the utilities come and talk about it being about smart grids and energy and sustainability. The IT companies come in and start talking about sort of connectivity and, and, and urban platforms. Everyone comes in at it from a different angle. What we're beginning to see is more consolidation in the approach. There's also a tremendous opportunity in, in the States that um, Pegasus are putting together a 20-square-mile um, smart city testbed down in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is to actually have a complete city environment, but without people in it, so you can test this stuff to distraction. Because one of the biggest difficulties, I think Fergus was talking about earlier, is there's at least four markets. So you've got the brand-new Greenfield cities. You've got the retrofit of historic cities. Right. Uh, you've got areas within cities, and you've actually got a lot of people looking at areas where they can actually have a complete master plan, so university campus sites, hospitals, railway stations, things of this issue. So there's at least sort of four, four elements to the smart city market anyway. But end-to-end, it's just the sort of bottom end of that connectivity that goes straight through, and perhaps social media at the top of it. Sounds very interesting. I, I like the way you, you mentioned, and thank you so much for saying the different, the pockets, if you will, of where M2M is starting to become a reality, the, the places, the cities with no people in them where it's being tested. Uh, Fergus, I want you to weigh in on this. We've, uh, Joe mentioned your name as well. Any issues with privacy, with people saying, but I'm not a tech person, I wouldn't know how to push those buttons or use that app. Is, do you see any resistance on the consumer side, or can you address that for us? I think um, so. privacy is a big issue that the industry mm-hmm. is trying to solve, and that's one of the reasons, I think, why the telecom operators have a reasonably good card to play there because they are not known for losing your data. So, you know, many of the Internet players have had data leak out or credit cards leak out or passwords leak out. You know, we, there's an article in the press about that every month or so from uh, one of the online companies. But telcos have not had uh, big problems with data leaking out. They run a pretty tight ship. So they're trying to leverage that into that space is one of the things that they can bring along. And then regarding whether the public will take to these solutions, I mean, so far mm-hmm. uh, they've taken to them uh, pretty well once they're well-designed. And, of course, you can have you know bad and good solutions. But ultimately, all of this stuff is supposed to be behind the scenes. It's supposed to be uh, working when you need it, in fact, working to make sure that you somehow uh, don't have problems. I mean, one example uh, Margot talked about drinking her Nespresso Lungo. Nespresso yes. was rolling out M2M solutions. And right now they're doing it in the, uh, the more their uh, professional level, so the machines that they might have in restaurants, uh, hotels, uh, that type of thing. And what they're doing is connecting all those machines back to some big Nespresso cloud in the sky to figure out what's going on with the machines. You know, is, has the descaling process been run? Or maybe they need to run it remotely. Do you need to maybe adjust the temperature? Uh, do you need to monitor the hardness of the water and react accordingly? Can they figure out when something is approaching maybe some failure parameters and they might need to do a little bit of proactive maintenance? So for the person, you know, sitting, uh, serving themselves for the morning coffee, mm-hmm. for example, in a hotel, they just see the machine is working more. Uh, it doesn't fail and it 
because someone has come in maybe the night before and done some proactive maintenance because they have, have this uh, service in place. So for the consumer, maybe the experience doesn't change at all. It just gets slightly better, but they do what they always did before. Interesting. Bonnie, you brought up I a couple. Yes, sure. Please, Jason, go yeah, ahead. On, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, on that point, um, I agree with what Ferguson said. You mentioned, Bonnie, about uh, not knowing how to push buttons, and I think one of the key factors about M2M technology from the, the end user point of view, the actual consumer, is that it should be seamless. They actually shouldn't even, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to push buttons. They should just be going about their business. And part of the concept is the data would be transmitted back to another connection without them knowing. They will know generally that data is being passed back and forth, but they won't have to activate it. Uh, an example uh, that we write about in the report you mentioned is a, a scale, an automated scale that transmits uh, patients' weight data back to doctors' servers, and that automatically flags changes in the weight that, that could be you know, symptomatic. It could be you know, ca- causing a problem, and the doctor can take action at that point. That kind of brings up the privacy issue. Someone's weight, mm-hmm. I mean, it, we, one thing about M2M is that you could conceivably be looking at sensors certainly inside your body as part of you, uh, which brings up a huge privacy issue when th- yes. things are, are transmitting data uh, constantly. Now, the question, I think this is where pilots come in, too. So we're, we're seeing a lot of testing right now, a lot of um, checking to see what people will accept. And I think it turns out that people will, will actually accept what we might consider um, infringements of privacy if we're taking it in sort of uh, in, in a vacuum, for example. So, you know, we're looking at technology that can tell your exact location at any time, how you spend money, your medical history. Now, in a lot of ways, this is, we've already reached this point with the online debate, so some of this has been decided, but it does take... Um, it, it does take it to another level when it's actually part of your your person that this could be transmitting from. Very interesting. I have a tweet here from Malcolm. He poses this question. This is almost going to take us up to our second break. He says, what if my e-calendar could talk to my alarm clock to tell if my two, 4 a.m. meeting, he's in, on the West Coast, if my 4 a.m. meeting is canceled and reset itself to 7 a.m., M2M can do it. Is that true? Can M2M do it? Jason? I think it probably can. The question is whether you want to trust it. Uh, I think that's probably a small, small example, but there's some other examples of trust that we could bring up. Um, when we, we come back, I want to cover trust. Thank you. And when we come back, I also want to uh, pick on another section here of this EIU report, and you say ultimately long-term growth and innovation will come from experimentation within individual sectors. And let me just do a lead sentence here before we go to break. M2M's breakthrough potential, very important, breakthrough. And this show is called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I'm going to substitute for breakthrough. I'm going to say M2M's game-changing potential lies in entrepreneurs and existing companies using technology to create wholly new products and services. We're going to come back and talk about that with Fergus O'Reilly, Jason Sumner, and Joe Dignan. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. This is a wow topic. You won't want to miss our second half. Brad, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP to speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, and we're talking about the game-changing aspects of M2M. If you're just joining us, machine-to-machine, the rise of the machines, the impact on you as a consumer, you as a business person, you as a citizen, a resident of a city, a country, of the globe. We're talking big stuff here. So now we're going to talk to Jason Sumner, ADIU, about a comment in his report, Rise of the Machines, at digitalresearch.eiu.com. You can find it there. And we're talking a little bit about the new products and services that can arise from the breakthrough potential of M2M. So, Jason, why don't you tell me a little bit about this comment here in the report. It says, GM, General Motors, OnStar offering. If anybody's been living under a rock for the past 10 years, OnStar is some kind of a an alert system built into cars, GM cars today, to let them know, somebody know, if you are in trouble, you have an accident, a tire blowout, etc. GM's OnStar offering is now available as a subscription service for its rivals' vehicles. What? Jason, talk to me about this. Is it possible? Yes, I think this brings up the very key point about partnerships in this whole mm-hmm. um, machine-to-machine issue. So you can't you can't just be a um, a car maker and get into M2M and that's it. You've got to make partnerships. And um, this is happening for the telco providers, the, the people providing the connectivity, the people providing the software, and certainly for GM in, in rolling out the service. Um, so they, they've spent a lot of time building these partnerships in order to, in order to drive the service forward. Okay, and you also mentioned here in the report, British Gas and Energy Utility has created a new home security service, which goes back to something we said earlier in the show. Joe Dignan from Ovum, what's your take on, on what we're talking about with Jason, the partnership concept, the idea of taking this technology, taking it out of one particular brand and saying, hey, let's share it? Is that a good thing for business, Joe? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the more open we can make it, the more we can actually make the market. I mean, to some extent, the smart city market has been stalling. I don't think anyone's been making a huge amount of money on it. Um, and that's primarily because there's not been an identified customer on the government side. I think there's a number of things that can really kick it into action, which is one for some sort of public sector customer that can be seen to have the same concomitant sort of responsibilities that a smart city um, seems to approach. So if you think about it, it's transport, it's public safety, national security, it's health, it's education, it's government. So I mean, it's a huge beast of a thing. What we're finding is that there, a lot of people are beginning to chunk it up now. So there are organizations going in that are a safe city cell. So everything around a single view of an incident, uh, IBM's latest approach in, in, um, in Rio de Janeiro is part of that. And, and SAP have a very good urban offer around this as well. So people coming in from a transport angle. <laughs> I'd like to sort of pull back a to what we talked about just before the break, because I think there's an incredibly important point around privacy. And what mm-hmm. you actually find is it also goes into this big data type of debate as well. If you work with a lot of the cities themselves, there's not much money in the system. So what mm-hmm. they're saying is we have a lot of data. And what we want to try and do is to put that data up and out for the private sector to start to use that and sell it back to the public sector on a transactional basis. This has got major implications for things like licensing for some of the larger uh, IT companies, but it seems to be a way to go. But again, it has privacy uh, ramifications quite considerably. But again, I'd actually back up what Fergus was saying, because, for example, in London, we've actually got the Oyster card, and the Oyster card can actually track what people are doing, you know, they can actually say, you know, we know where you've been, what you've been doing, not what you've been doing, but certainly where you've been. And they made a decision when they set thing up to lock this away. But what they're beginning to get is actually people approaching them saying, we want this information. So they started going out to the um, constituent uh, population who owns the Oyster card and said, well, it's permission-based. Would you like them to have it? Mm-hmm. And it goes back again to something else that Fergus said, which is if you actually package it in the right way, where people understand why this information is being made available, if it's to their benefit, they will use it and they will go with it. I think that's the most important part of this whole sort of data sovereignty and uh, and big data type of conversation. Thank you, Definitely Joe. Good. Yes. Just to add to that, Joe. Um, Absolutely agree. I, yeah, I definitely agree, and I think one of the key points that's been uh, across business for a long time uh, is if you can save people money. I mean, I think if, if you say for a little bit of giving us some of your data and, and we prove we're not going to use it in a bad way and we're going to save mm-hmm. you money, um, that's, a, that's a key incentive for consumers, especially if they don't, if they don't really notice, you know, if no big problems come. Um, one small example would be, you know, my mobile phone company sends me something every, uh, you know, every six months saying, you know, are you on the best plan? Uh, we've adjusted it this way or that way. And I know that they're, they're looking at all the data. Um, but, you know, if they're able to save money, that's a, small, that's a small price to pay in my view. And I think consumers are going to be making those sorts of choices. Another example is uh, car insurance. So, you know, there's some experiments around um, tracking people's, driving habits um, yeah. and you know in return for driving better uh, we'll give you lower premiums and uh, people you know people tend to take that up um, and there's been some success with that so whether that will be employed on a wider scale is 
as as we say in the report, you know, it's anyone's guess really what innovations will come, and the the experiments have to happen first. But those are encouraging signs, I think, for the businesses that are trying to to roll these these um, initiatives out. Thank you, Jason. I think the, the pocket bit as well, if I may. I mean, um, one of the things we're beginning to see is that the developer community are stepping up to the plate. Um, so you get some of the major operations such as OVR and WS Atkins and Balfour BT and Gales and Quintain, all these guys. And what makes it exciting is the fact that they are they have the return on the investment model that allows for five, eight, ten, twelve years. Whereas the IT companies don't basically two telco operators. So I can see certainly envisaged very soon that the right sort of consortia would actually have a telco, a bank, a developer, a major IT company, and very likely a whole group of ISV-type SMEs in the mix. And mm-hmm. that would be a sort of perfect grouping to go and, and tackle something like a smart city. I have a question for all of you. We've got three minutes to the break here at the end of our roundtable. My question is, we've been inching a little bit into the topic of privacy, of course, which impacts consumers, residents, all the the ways we talked about it affects you and me as as individuals. However, uh, I notice here in the EIU report, Jason, a related challenge is a relatively limited awareness of M2M technology by businesses. So let me spin this in another direction. If the three of you were going to be talking to a startup company, company, an entrepreneur who's about to launch a startup or just started, small, small, small company, and you wanted to tell them, hey, M2M is something you should be involved in, you should harness it, you should make partnerships, what would your message to that company be to give them give them some a heads up, if you will, about the rise of the machines, that this is something they might harness to make whatever they're going to do even better, even smarter? Let's start with uh, Fergus. Any advice to a startup on M2M? Um, I think that basic um, answer would be bake it into what you do and bake it into your plans. So many of the examples that we've talked about already, uh, particularly the ones I love what Joe talked about, about the sort of the open government initiative and mm-hmm. the fact you can have all this data floating around out there, I think the really interesting opportunities are going to be when you break across those vertical segments and you start tying this information together and building something new on top that you couldn't do before. Like the, your caller talked about, well, can my you know phone speak to my calendar and speak to my alarm mm-hmm. clock and change things automatically? You've gone across you know three or four different industry segments right there, and maybe three or four different devices or systems. Once they can really start talking to each other and making something new that has you know uh, unlocks new value for a consumer or for a business, that's really really interesting. So seeing Perfect. what traffic patterns are like in a in a city, and maybe that comes from traffic cameras aggregated with in-car security monitors from OnStar, aggregated with for the free parking spaces available that you got mm. of the SF municipal uh, site. Take all that data together and give you the best route and the quickest route downtown and the, where there's an available parking space and reserve it for you, you know, in a click of a button. That's something that becomes very, very interesting. So those are I'm start- I think. Really I'm loving it. Jason, can you just give a, a one or two sentence advice before we go to break on um, on how bu- new businesses can incorporate, embrace, enhance M2M and take advantage of it for their own growth? Yeah, yeah I would say look first at your customer need, your customer need for connectivity, for remote connectivity. Uh, look at your vertical So to simplify it for yourself because if you look at this um, – 
in the aggregate, you're going to get confused because there's so many different applications. So look at your vertical, whether it's manufacturing, construction, retail, et cetera. And then I would, I would have the advice of trying to tie something into smartphones because smartphone ubiquity, smartphone take-up is going to, going to drive this. Okay, thank you very much. You know what? It's time for our crystal ball segment. When we come back, I'm going to be asking my three esteemed guests, M2M, how smart will our cities be five years from today in 2017 or any time frame where they can look ahead? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is SAP's Coffee Break with Game Changers. They're speaking to Joe Dignan, Jason Sumner, and Fergus O'Reilly. We come back. You don't want to miss their predictions. This is good stuff. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we go. Time for our infamous, or maybe I should just say famous, crystal ball segment. I'm going to ask my three esteemed guests to tell us what they predict. Look ahead. Let's start out with five years. Let's talk to Jason Sumner at EIU. M2M, Rise of the Machines. Is there a movie? Will there be a sequel? How smart will our cities be five years from today in 2017? Jason? I'm going to stretch it out a bit. I will talk about five years, but I'll stretch it out because I think the topic demands it, really. Um, There's a quote from one of the industry analysts that we we spoke to for the report that you've you've been mentioning throughout the show, and that particular quote is, once machines are networked, we're only limited by our imagination. Yes. And to that extent, it really makes makes prediction difficult, uh, very difficult, um, but also exciting at the same time. Mm-hmm. coming into five years. So that makes it a bit easier. Uh, and we're really looking at 
uh, things that are happening now and trying to extrapolate from that. So I would say in the short term, in the next five years, we're going to see increasing deployments of this technology, and especially around pilot projects, especially in, in cities and smart city type projects. And we're going to be learning all the time. That's the important thing. So we'll learn all the time about the possibilities and the constraints, you know, around the things we've been talking about around privacy and what, what customers want and what they'll accept. And then some of these large-scale deployments, as I mentioned before, are going to be driven by regulations. And again, that's where we're going to learn a lot. So these massive, you know, if, if the smart meter installation comes to pass, as we think it will because of the, mm -hmm. the regulation to have them, we're going to learn a lot from that. Um, in the short term, again, in five years, efficiency and cost savings. That's where the driver is going to be for businesses. You talked about, you know, a small business or a business that has questions about it. Definitely efficiency and cost savings is where to look because if you look at the practical examples of where this is happening at the moment, it's happening in efficiency and cost savings. Um, from, a, from a provider perspective, just to talk about them for a minute, even though to me they're not the most important people in the, in the chain, um, but the telcos, the, the platform providers, they're going to be experimenting too. So they're going to be experimenting with pilots, pricing models. They're going to be buying each other, partnering up with each other to try to position themselves for the next big success story. And that, or the several big success stories. And that leads on to the, the longer term prediction, you know, beyond ten, beyond five years, looking at ten years and beyond. And that's mm -hmm. where the imagination comes in. I think the goal here, technologically speaking, is to make sure that all these systems are linking up, that the technology is right, so that we're essentially providing a platform for innovation. And the, the analogy, again, uh, we, we got this from one of our, our sources for the report, but um, the smartphone. The smartphone is a massive innovation, but the important thing about that is that it provides a platform for others to innovate around it. And so M2M, it should be a similar thing. Once you have this technology, in place and the systems are speaking to each other, entrepreneurs can go out and create new ideas that utilize that technology. And that, those are things we can't even dream up right now at the moment. That's why it makes predictions so difficult. Interesting. Well, we can predict that imagination will hopefully be thriving and growing. And I want to throw in one quote here, one statistic, if you don't mind, from your report. You say, oh, you talked about cost-cutting, Jason. Overall, Yankee Group, we know a technology research and consulting firm, forecasts that market segments focused on cost-cutting related to MTM will see the greatest growth of some 17% per year between 2011, last year, and 2015, which is a little short of our 2017 prediction. So just wanted to throw that in. Thank you, Jason. Let's turn to Joe Dignan from Ovum. What do you see in the crystal ball from Ovum's perspective? Joe? Um, well, I think that what I, what I feel, I'll do the five years one, is that, you know, we've, we've reached the end of the beginning for our smart cities. I think everyone's fed up listening to uh, an interesting thing they're going to be and, and what MTM is going to be as part of that. So I think we're definitely, we'll have moved from the division to the actual implementation of whatever smart cities is going to be and to make that work, we're actually then going to be able to have the correct metrics by which you can judge, because you came up with the $64 question, which is, you know, how do you judge when a city is smart? And, of course, mm -hmm. smart, doesn't mean, smart doesn't mean an end point. It's obviously going to have to be some sort of dynamic scenario where it just keeps changing. But Jason was saying, we don't really know what's going to happen. But we, what I can say is, is my feeling is that, uh, that smart cities and in terms part of that whole approach is the biggest ICT opportunity uh, in the next five years. And all I mean is that 
I know that an awful lot of the vendor community are beginning to sort of fill their tankers around to look at this space and say, okay, well, what do we need to take to win some of this um, business? So I can certainly see a much greater consolidation of verticals. Um, to me, a mm-hmm. purpose of a grouping would be a telco because, again, this is absolutely spot on. Uh, mobility and um, collaboration are integral part of this whole piece. So some sort of telco, big systems integrator, big developer, and a big bank. Those four together, I think, would make a, a superb uh, operation. And in the UK here, we've actually got a really great opportunity because the Technology Strategy Board has uh, given 50, sorry, 30 cities uh, feasibility money to develop a smart city story. And whomsoever wins it gets £24 million in January to build a big demonstration project. So government will have caught up with the idea, with what the vendor has been promoting for quite some time. And people like SAP and IBM and Cisco have been promoting this and spending a lot of money developing this mm. for a long time. And they're getting fatigued. So but hopefully we'll actually move this away from that vision to the implementation. And government will eventually come up with a customer and at the same time develop a smart regulation. And that includes what it means for data sovereignty by that point in five years. And I think the cities are going to be the economic hub of the world economy, more so than nation states. Thank you, Joe. I have a quick question for you before we turn to Fergus O'Reilly for his predictions. My question is, do you foresee in the next few years, let's say in the next five years, there might actually be a new executive position in companies that are aware of M2M, aware of the opportunities, the possibilities, the excitement. Somebody used that word, and I was so pleased to hear that because there has to be a human side to There has to be a wow and aha moment that somebody recognizes, I believe. The question is, do you think companies will institute a new office of the m M2M officer, the M2MO, machine-to-machine officer, something like that, somebody who's really focused and, and putting aside budgets and hiring the right people to explore these great opportunities. What do you think, Joe? Do you mean from the vendor side or from the public sector side? Any, any side, anywhere, from the city side, oh, from the vendor side. I mean, we're actually we're seeing people like Telefonica have actually, I think, just advertised for their first smart city lead for Europe. I know even SEP have got a wonderful guy called Sean O'Brien who's running their urban uh, management group. So, yeah, they're, they're there. I mean, they're already doing it. So the vendors are pushing this. What we need now is for the public sector itself to be able to step up to the plate and actually have a concomitant-type conversation. I'd like okay. to see more, more smart city uh, kind of offices within the public sector because, in fact, the vendor community gets it. Yes, Good, good point, and thank you for that. And let's turn to Fergus O'Reilly last, but definitely not least. Fergus from SAP, what do you see in the crystal ball? You can have a whole two, two and a half minutes. We have a little extra time today. Okay. I agree with uh, uh, with Joe that over the next five years, I think we'll start figuring out how does this all work together. We've talked about the complexities on the partnering side, the fact that we need all, need all these different stakeholders to really make something work from the small mom-and-pop shop developer to the big telco to the banks to systems integrators, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we'll start finding some of the ways in which that's going to work. We'll have figured out how the money flow works between those mm-hmm. folks. We don't have that today. How does revenue, where does it come from initially, and how does it get shared across that network of, uh, of people? That's an important point. We figured out how to manage all the big data, how to make data open, so other people mm-hmm. can build on top of it, as we've talked about as well. Uh, as well. So we'll start to see, I think, that uh, platform emerge uh, that, uh, that Jason talked about as well. 
And after that, and then I think we're probably more into the five to ten year time frame, we'll stop having this conversation. We'll stop talking about M2M as being a thing. Um, we'll sort of forget about it uh, once it sort of disappears into the fabric. The same way as if you rewind the clock back to the late 90s, everyone was trying to figure out what was the Internet and how it affected their business and how it affected their personal lives and whether they should be getting online and what the Internet strategy should be for every single company and every single vendor or consumer out there in the world. And we had chief Internet officers for a brief period. But then, you know, we all figured out that it was there. We could build stuff with it. It was sort of all permeating throughout various sectors of business in our lives. And so it stopped being something that we had conferences about or talk radio shows about. You don't have them about the Internet anymore. That's all gone. Mm-hmm. We just assume it's there and we work on top of it. And I think that the 10-year time frame, we must be in the same place. The technology will be in place. Those platforms will be in place. Those partnerships, those monetization models, they'll all be up and running. And they will just be getting on and on to the next thing and figure out what that is in, uh, in five or ten years. Thank you very much. All good predictions from my three guests. And you know what? Now it's time for me to fill the last minute with my predictions. And mine are easy because I have them right here in front of me. I predict that tomorrow on SAP's In the Cloud with Game Changers radio show right here on the Business Channel, we're going to be talking about how startups, smart startups, and I'm going to coin a new term here, smartups, that's my word, coin it. Malcolm, tweet about it. Smartups are harnessing technology to become economic game changers right out of the box. And the following week, on August 16th, we'll talk about HR globalization. Next Wednesday, we'll be back here with Coffee Break with Game Changers, August 15th, and we will talk about sales transformation with author and Axiom SFD founder Bob Nichols. And Wednesday, August 22nd, we'll talk about the future of digital marketing. You don't want to miss any of those shows. A couple thank yous to Patricia Harris, Malcolm Kimberlin, and Margot. Thank you for your tweets and support. And the Business Channel team, Brad, you rock. Thank you to my special guest, Joe Dignam from Ovum. Jason Sumner from EIU, Fergus O'Reilly from SAP. You've been wonderful today. Thank you for sharing your insights, your expertise, your energy, and your sense of humor because that counts on live radio. And here's a message to our listeners. Go visit us on SAPGameChangersRadio.com. Tell us who you are. Give us an address, and we'll send you an official SAP Game Changers mug. It is beautiful. We've got a few left on the shelf, and we'd love to give one to you. Here's the message for the week. Go out and be a game changer for your company, your city, your community. Just be a game changer. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow in the cloud. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.